This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Startup Clinic. And I would like to say a warm welcome to Noor Shower, who is the Managing Director of Endeavour UAE. Welcome. Thank you for coming on the programme. Thank you for having me. Really nice to have you with us. We also have Andreas de Leon, who is the CEO of Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. So let's just go back a step. Um, Hyperloop TT is a, a transportation technology company. Tell us, for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with, with what you guys do, what's at the heart of your company? Well, uh, we are the first company that was formed to develop the Hyperloop. Um, when Elon made the white paper, uh, we were part of an incubator funded by NASA and Gibbon Institute to, to build companies in a different way, to build companies using crowdsourcing. Yeah. means that the people work in exchange of uh, equity of the project. So we put the project in, in our platform, and immediately we have more than 200 people around the world. And today we have more than 800 people, contributors around the world, and more than 50 companies collaborating to make the technology happen. Okay. And Noor, you are from Endeavor. Tell us a little bit about Endeavor. Sure. Um, Endeavor is a nonprofit organization. It's uh, present in 37 countries around the world. Um, our theory is that high-impact entrepreneurs are very important in an ecosystem. And our definition of a high-impact entrepreneur is somebody that takes a small business and scales it up to become a big success story. So that could be an exit, an IPO, or achieving a certain size. Uh, and in the process of doing that, they create jobs, they create wealth for themselves and people around them, and they create inspirational stories. More importantly, which is the second part of what we call a high-impact entrepreneur, is that it's these people multiply their effect. So they start mentoring the next generation of entrepreneurs. They become investors in the next generation of entrepreneurs. Sometimes they go on and start other businesses themselves. Or, very interestingly, some people that worked with them go out and start other businesses. So if mm. you think of, uh, let's say... Um, like the PayPal mafia, for example, a lot of people that worked at PayPal ended up going out and starting out other George's businesses. George's face when you said PayPal mafia then. <laughs> this is getting interesting. I feel like I'm in the Goodfellas. No, but it's kind of, we talk about that even here in the region. People that maybe worked at Kareem at the very start, now yes. they're in a position to turn around and think, okay, well, I was very lucky. I got in early. We've now seen that in terms of Uber as an exit. So they then go on to start their own companies. And yep. you said that then that, that money then spreads and, and, and it's plenty of seeds and innovation and technology and ideas. Yep. And, and, and that's what you hope to do in this part of the world, so that 44 entrepreneurs you're supporting? So globally, we have uh, over 2,000 entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, in the in the in the UAE, which is what uh, the, where uh, where I work, we we're supporting 48 entrepreneurs running 31 country uh, companies. It's quite cool this endeavor mm. thing. I mean, I have a lot of friends that that, that that went through the program that were also mentors in the program. Nor I'll tell you about them uh, after the show. Right. So I'm sure we have a lot of people in common. <laughs> but it's been it's been quite a support. It's it's been quite a support tool for a lot of the. Um, Aspiring and mostly promising entrepreneurs. It's not yeah. an easy program to get into. Exactly. Uh, it's not, you know, any, yeah. any, any, anyone can come in and, hey, we'll take you on board and we'll mentor you. It's really for the promising uh, businesses and the promising people. Now, I have a question for Anders, if, if, if you don't mind. So, from what I understand, uh, Elon, Elon actually did his white paper and didn't, didn't trademark the technology or didn't trademark or copyright, whatever it is, uh, the, the, the technology. So, there are a lot of Hyperloop companies out there. Explain to us, for example, here in the UAE, we often, uh, you'll, you'll probably be irritated by this, well, we obviously uh, hear a lot about Virgin Hyperloop and so on. What is the difference between, how many companies are there, first of all, are there hundreds or dozens or a few, uh, one and two, what is the difference between the different companies and how does, how does, comp does this competition work in that ecosystem? Yeah, well, 
there's certainly no hundreds of companies uh, developing this, uh, and I would like to separate. For, for me, there are like two companies that are leading this uh, this race. One is us, obviously. You know, we have been. We were the first one. We are the leaders in the technology development, and Hyperloop is also doing, uh, uh, you know, trying and, and doing projects and trying to, to, to demonstrate the technology. Then, from the um, competition that Elon Musk made uh, in every year in, uh, in SpaceX, there are a small team of students that are trying to create also uh, companies. You know about this. This is a very complex uh, project, you know. It's about aerospace technology, it's about rail technology, it's also about, uh, you know, regulation, it's about uh, governmental affairs, things like that. So you, you really need to have uh, people with a lot of expertise, you know, to be important. Our main advantage, or the part that I like more about our company, is the model, no? the organizational model. The organizational model allows us to have people involved with big expertise and people that maybe they couldn't take the risk to go to a startup environment. But here, you know, they continue working in their own companies or in their own jobs, and, and then they collaborate with us in a, in a weekly basis, giving us his expertise and his talent. You know? And I would say that that is basically uh, the main advantage or the main difference between us and the, the other companies. And of course, there is difference in the technology. You know, we have uh, proprietary technology based on passive magnetic levitation that we have developed. But you know, the main difference would be that. How close are we to an actual first implementation, real implementation? I'm not telling. I'm not talking about yeah. R&D or, yeah. or experimentation. How close are we, even if it's two kilometers? How how close are we to a first implementation that the public can use? Yeah. Well, the first full-scale hyperloop. Uh, um, the first full-scale hyperloop, uh, and I say full-scale, you know, in the size of the tubes, the size of the capsules, is being right now implemented in Toulouse. Okay, uh, we have finalized all the tube uh, implementation, the vacuum system, and we are now in the propulsion and levitation and, and all of that. Okay, but that is only 320 meters that will allow to test and certify all the technology at a full scale, without, of course, the speed. The fact that it's in Toulouse, does it have to do with the Airbus at all, or is it because well, aeronautical? It has, has to be with the aerospace yeah. uh, environment in Toulouse the, that help us a lot to collaborate with a lot of companies. See, yeah. In addition to that, we are working right now in a real project in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, where we have finalized the concept design and the NOC projects and all that for doing an advanced mobility center with a five-kilometer track. That is a project that we are working together with our partner, Darahan Nassar, that is one of the big, biggest civil engineer firm in the, in the region. And, you know, we are in the... Darahan Nassar, you said. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very big company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we are working with them. We expect to, to be breaking ground, uh, you know, at the end of this year, probably, if everything goes well. And, of course, there is funding. There is a lot of things, you know, that are complex to, to this project. In that five kilometers, we would be able to showcase the technology and to demonstrate, you know, not only that Apple works, but works uh, reliable, works safety, yeah. and, and it's efficient. Because I think there's a lot of skepticism but, around that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are a few things in that, really. As um, somebody that lives here, I want to know, how are you going to make my life easier? How quickly is it going to take me to get from Dubai to Abu Dhabi or, or Dubai to Saudi Arabia? I want to know if it's going to be faster for me to get to Riyadh. Um, these are kind of questions people have on a practical level, but there's also things like, 
am I going to be safe in there? How do I know that this tunnel can support um, this kind of movement? How many people am I going to be sat in a, um, you know, a capsule with? So I think people, it's, it's quite hard for us to get a real sense of what that will be like and until we get a little bit closer. Now, we're going to continue this conversation in just a few minutes' time with both of you. Um, can you think of something, whether it's been you personally or it feels like an interview question, this. Tell me about one yeah. of your biggest things. <laughs> I'm nervous. I know, I know. You're not applying for a job. Yeah. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of one of those one of those stories show me how resilient you are um so yeah what, sure. what's your failure story um so i, I mean i've i've tried uh, my hand at uh, doing a couple of startups that failed embarrassingly um, really really badly actually um but um so um i mean i've tried to set up a trading company that um i think i had after trying for almost a year, I made a sale revenues of one thousand dollars. Oh, well done! Uh, <laughs> That's resilience, right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lisa wasn't one thousand in losses, but I put a lot of work <laughs> into it. He said revenue, <laughs> not profit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, and I've tried a couple of other things, but uh, that haven't worked out. But I think um, it's really important when we're talking about failure to really to define what failure is, because a lot of people, when they think about failure. They think of this spectacular f failure where you know a business goes bankrupt or somebody goes to jail or, or something. But from my experience with working with a lot of entrepreneurs, even successful companies have a lot of micro failures that happen in the company. So they they do um, they work on certain projects that fail. They uh, they try to go into markets that fail. They do a lot of different things that fail. And um, just like what we were saying before, they just bounce back from it. They take it as a learning opportunity and they just move forward. Um, a lot of the times they use that um, experience to really, let's say if they've if they failed launching into a new market, the next time they go into another market, they know uh, some of the mistakes that they've mm. made or things to look out for. So I think that's really important to keep that in mind because it's not a terminal thing. That, that's a good point. You know, how do you define failure? Yeah. Uh, you know, if uh, if, if uh, Andres' uh, uh, experience uh, in in uh, you know in Toulouse or whatever it doesn't work out, or if it's uh, you know if it's an unsuccessful trial, is that a failure? Mm. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna rebuild it, they're gonna fix things, and then they're gonna try again. They're gonna get a success. So was that original one a failure? If you're going into a certain market, let's say some companies have tried to go into Russia, for example, and it didn't work out, but then they turned around and went to China and made billions. Mm. Is that original failure a failure or not, or is it just a failure in the road? I right? know, is it a pathway to, to the later Exactly. Success? It's very difficult yeah. to, it's very difficult to to define a failure. Uh, Uber, for example, has been an amazing company, but Uber's IPO hasn't done so great. Is that a failure or is that a success, right? Mm. Or is that just a failure in the road? Uh, so, so it's very difficult to d define a failure. Every, I think it's something that's very personal. Uh, some, some guys or some, some entrepreneurs will go out there and say, you know what, I want to exit at a billion dollars. And if they exit at $500 million, then it's a failure for them. But hey, in our eyes, this is an amazing success. I can mm. think of one or two companies in the region that, 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 that are looking to exit at, at, at a billion dollars. And are now evaluated at five, six hundred million, and to them, they still haven't succeeded. Yeah. So, so failure is a very relative thing that you have to be. Yeah, we have to be careful with. Okay, and what about you, Andres? What? Well, yeah, I experienced a failure, a personal failure. Uh, I was having a very successful professional career, and my first entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship uh, project, you know, um, was very, very fast. Was very positive. Everything was going well, and then crisis come, and was very difficult to 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 look for enough resources to fund the business and all mm. of that, and we have a failure, you know. And I think that, as he has explained very well, uh, that defines you, you know, defines you, uh, allow you to understand, you know, how much 
capable you are to be resilient, to understand the environment, and you know, and you have to understand too, you know, depending on the environments, failure is completely different. In the United States, everybody knows that failure is just one step that you need to go to, to arrive to the success. In the European environment, it's completely different, you know? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very, very different. It's, there's a big cultural difference. You have to understand, for instance, the, the word in Spanish for bankruptcy is quiebra. That means because in the past they used to break your legs. Mm. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah, that's dramatic. So, so we have, we've had the PayPal mafia, we've had <laughs> the Spanish banks breaking your knees. This is very, very aggressive business show today. Yeah. But what does it mean, and seriously talking, is that, you know, in the culture of a lot of European countries still is that idea that if you fail, you, you are not valid, okay? And we need to change that culture. Mm. We taboo. really need yeah. to come to change that culture because... Only when you have failed, you are ready for success. That's my, maybe there are exceptions, people that have been always successful, but the best entrepreneurs are the ones that they have been in that position. Now, George, I would really like to get your perspective on this. You have, you know, thousands of people walking through the doors of VirtuZone. You've seen, you've seen a lot of different things, nor also your thoughts on this. Culturally, you would possibly argue in this part of the world that mindset, that mentality of failure being part of someone's success story is still a taboo. Yeah, this is changing, though. I think the government's also helping. Um, you know, we, there's, there's a few laws that have been introduced in recent times where you're now allowed to fail. You know, mm. uh, at the beginning or, or 10, 15 years ago, uh, you go, there's no such thing as going bankrupt here. You go bankrupt, you go to jail. And I think this, I think, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the main actors in, in this field realize that, you know what, this is, uh, this is, this is a, putting in a barrier to a lot of people to come into this market and to try their luck in this market. And it's affecting entrepreneurship and all that. So these barriers are now slowly being removed. Um, it's a long process. It's a mind shift. It's a, it's a, it's a, cultural shift which which we're getting to i don't know if noor can 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 agree on that or not yeah. uh, but it's it's definitely less scary to fail today than it was a few years ago am i wrong yes it's improving a lot and it's becoming a lot uh, more attractive to actually start a company but um i think um what's really interesting about what you're saying is that um whenever the the cost of failure is very high what ends up happening is you have people starting businesses that are very safe. Mm. So you'll have a lot of the, the companies, you know, you know, I, I don't want to kind of pick on anybody in particular, but you'll have a lot of cupcake companies or things that don't really change an economy. Um, while, you know, companies like SpaceX or others where disruptors, you know, in the United, disruptors or, these are the type of entrepreneurs that we call the diamonds that come up with something that completely changes the way an industry works. They're very high risk, but if they take off, they, they do really well. But it requires certain level of safety that you know if you fail you can still bounce back, and uh, patient capital that can really support it. And it's really important. A lot of the changes that are happening here are moving in that direction, uh, which is very encouraging, actually. Uh, and recently, we spoke to quite a few young people um, on, on the program. And I think what's interesting is when I was at school, and, and, and George, I'm not going to age us both too much, but the idea was if you were going to be um, you know, praised by your parents, you would be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might even be a teacher. But you would have a career and you would have a job. But the idea is a lot of young people we're seeing, they just want to start a company. They want to start a business. And, and the idea that they can be anything and do anything, is certainly that mindset is changing. And I think it's taking... For a lot of us as the older generation to catch up with the fact that that's the outset now. You know, th these millennials are much more <laughs> gutsy than we were. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they, 
like you said, you know, we traditionally wanted to grow up. Well, if you're if you're from a Lebanese family like me, you were either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or nothing. Yeah. Right? It's not, and you can do anything else, and you're nothing. Right? So, so you gotta be. You gotta <laughs> it's be a bit too much. It's well, maybe others. Huh? Others, yeah, or others. Yeah, or we we don't talk about him in the family. Right? Yeah. So, so, so you know, today's today's world, you're seeing guys saying, "I want to start. I want to do a company doing this or a company doing that." When I was young, I didn't say I want to start a company doing this or company doing that. I said I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be this. Today, uh, millennials are much more gutsy, much more imaginative, much more uh, willing to take risk, uh, you know, safety net or safe, so no safety net. You see them diving into things. They're much more self-thought as well with the internet today. The guys, you know, they're, they're 15, 16, they're IT whizzes and, and technology whizzes and they can, they can come up with apps and, and, and develop apps and stuff like that. Uh, this has played a major role in entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm sure Endeavor these days, most of your, most of your, uh, I'm going to call them participants or, or partners entrepreneurs. or entrepreneurs, are in the IT sector or technology sector. Not really, actually. About a third of the entrepreneurs we support are in the tech sector. It's, uh, but we have, we're sector agnostic, so we'll mm. see food and beverage, manufacturing and other. But the ones that get the most attention are the, yeah. the tech-based entrepreneurs. You know, you know, they'll dive into these apps and these things. And like you said, in our time, if you're starting your first business, is you start a restaurant, you start, a, you start yeah. a, a bake shop, or you start you know, a little store with minimum, with minimum inventory and minimum stock. Whereas today, they, the guys dive in, they go, out, they go out fundraising. They haven't even started their company, and they go out fundraising for millions and millions of dollars. If we were lucky back in the day, you get a 50000 or $100,000 from a family member to help you start, and then you owe them for the rest of your life. I know. That's all we've got time for, sadly, on this conversation. Really interesting one, though. Big thank you to our two guests. Noor Shower is the Managing Director of Endeavor UAE. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. And thank you to Andreas de Leon, who is the CEO of Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. Really nice to have you on the show, too. Thank you very much for having me here. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.